Uh, just so that everybody knows, um, my name is Drew Bennett. I'm, uh, I'm I guess, the, the, the senior pastor of Redeemer Winter Haven, but one of the pastors here at Redeemer City Church. We need to start thinking about the way we, we do those introductions and such things. If you're wondering, if you've been, you've been coming to, to Vision Dinner uh, Nights uh, for some time now and you wonder why, why all of a sudden are all of these people here, uh, let me try to explain that. First, um, th- we call this Vision Dinner. We are, not, we are not very good at creative things. We call it Vision Dinner because we eat dinner together and we talk about vision. Thus, Vision Dinner. <laughs> you know, we're just not, it's not in my gift set to really try to be fancy and creative. Um, why do we have this meeting? Well, part of it is just because of who I am as, as you know, the guy that, for whatever reason, the Lord uh, chose for this work. Uh, I, am, I am not as good at the work of, um, of the minutia of pastoral ministry. I kind of live my life on a 30,000-foot 30, level. That's both a strength and a weakness, and so we, we acknowledge that. Uh, but uh, this means important for me because uh, I'm a dreamer. And uh, I kind of thrive on vision, and the church was planted with vision. We have a 50-year vision for ministry in Winter Haven that we're in year seven and a half of, and so uh, we, we do it for that reason. The other reason is because the scriptures say very clearly that where there is no vision, can you finish the statement, anybody? Where there is no vision, people perish. And so that, what that word perish literally means, it, it means, it means to, be, to be torn apart, to be ripped apart, and um, and my own experience in church, and many of many of your ex- your experiences in church, what happens is, is for whatever reasons, unfortunately, in our city, uh, we actually don't have a legacy of proactive, strategic church planting in Winter Haven. We have a legacy of church splits in Winter Haven that result in new churches. So the overwhelming majority of churches in our city are are the result of fistfights in parking lots that have resulted in, in churches. We have fourth-generation church splits in Winter Haven. That, just, that, mean, that, that means that a church is a, a split off of a church that was a split off of a church that was a split. We don't really have a, we don't really have a strong legacy of church planning. Um, but what happens when you plant a church is, is you, can, you can say, okay, we have a very unique uh, vision. There's something we're trying to accomplish God sent us here for a purpose, and then what you want to make sure you don't do is you don't want to lose sight of that. You don't want to come off of that. You don't want to start with something good and then, and then get busy or distracted or whatever the case might be. So where, the, where there is no vision, that's what happens. Community identity begins to unravel. Uh, where there's no continuity of either leadership or vision, and, and those things are connected, by the way. Where there's no continuity of leadership, there's, it's hard to have a continuity of vision. Uh, but we're striving for continuity of leadership and continuity of vision over the span of a long time. And to do that, we want to keep reminding ourselves of why we believe God's called us here and what he has for us to do. And so to do that, we have these meetings um, a few times a year. We used to do them monthly, uh, but now we've moved to quarterly, about four, maybe five times a year, just getting together and saying, okay, what is it that God has called us here to do? Uh, how can we keep ourselves centered on that? And, uh, and what are some, where are we right now, and what are some of the pressing issues? And so that's what we try to do at this meeting. Now, why are there so many people here? Uh, the reason for that is, um, it's, very, it's very practical, actually. And I, I had this, and I didn't, I took it off the sheet that I gave you. I wish I wouldn't have now. But our, our, our kind of five-year, ten-year plan that's right in front of us is we, 
Our, our mission statement is to make Jesus' invisible kingdom visible in Winter Haven, Polk County, and the world. We want to do that by being a church that plants churches, a church that is a multi-congregational church, which means one church in the city, but with many congregations, or at least a congregation in each of the four quadrants of our city, northeast, southeast, northwest, southwest, with a total of 1,000 people in attendance. That's our kind of stated goal. Now, why? Why does that matter? Why, why put, you know, does, it feels kind of yucky, you know, to put a number on it. Why, I mean, do we really care? First thing is, is we don't, we don't want to have be one big church. We believe the city is better, uh, better cared for, better ministered to, that the gospel can really go forward in a better way uh, with, with four churches of 250 people in the city than one church of 1,000. We've always said that. And so, but, but in order to plant churches, we've had to kind of reconfigure some of those, some of those strategies and whatnot. But so our, our, our hope would be a congregation in each quadrant of the city totaling 1,000 people in attendance. Why 1,000 people? Why put the number on it? And it's because in order to do the kind of work that we ultimately want to do, in order to see the kinds of things happen in our city that we really want to see, why we started Heart for Winter Haven and some of the hope that we have for what Brad's doing and to really reach into the broken parts of our city with the good news of the gospel and see things change. In order to do that, we have to have a certain critical mass of people and materials and resources and all of those things to really see that kind of change start to happen. Does that make sense? So, the, so growth is not the goal. Uh, the goal is to change Winter Haven through the power of the gospel. The growth is just a strategy for getting at the goal. And we want to do it through evangelism through leadership development and through strategic church planting all over the city. That's the hope. So the reason, and here's what happens when you do that. Jeff and I were just talking about this a minute ago. So in, in, in September of this past year, so this is six months ago, when we went to two services here at the city congregation of our church, all that we can really hold in this room at one time are 280 people. So we were averaging about 280 people in attendance on a Sunday. Maybe we would bump to 300 or whatever. And that was really it. So you had 280 people. Now, what has God done since then? Well, we've gone to two services. We've planted a congregation in Southwest Winter Haven, and we also have uh, begun to build a relationship with the Berea Church in our city. Many of them are here tonight, which you see. And so, if you take if you take what's going on now with our two services here at the city congregation, what Jeff and and the the Southwest Church are running and Berea, we are we have gone from just six months ago having about 280 total people that are kind of in worshiping in our church, so to speak, to almost 500 people on a weekly basis, which, which accounts for why there's a bigger crowd. It's just, it's just math. And so I just say that to tell you uh, God's answering prayer. He's blessing us in ways we didn't, we didn't imagine, uh, and, he, and, he's, and he's, he's doing the things we've asked him to do. So rejoice in that, right? Right. And so if you look on your sheet... If you look on your sheet, page one of the sheet that I gave you, um, right underneath, what I want to talk about tonight is our community Bible reading program, but, but before that, our, our, if you want to, and if you don't have a sheet, there's some up here, and, we can, and Tim can pass them out to you. Um, if you want to pray a scripture for all of our churches and for the work that we're collectively trying to accomplish in our city, Acts 6, verse 7, would be, a great, would be a great verse to pray. And by the way, uh, in case you didn't know, what we're going to be doing here uh, and, and, and at Southwest is when we finish Luke at Easter, we're going to go right into Acts. 
And we're going to kind of spend about a year preaching our way through Acts, too. So we're going we're gonna, to you know, go straight through all of Luke's, Luke's corpus. So, but here's Acts 6-7. And this just, this just so encourages me, and I long, I long for God to do it uh, among us. So we read, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly, and a great many people became obedient to the faith. Wouldn't that be a great thing to see happen? The word of God, the gospel of Jesus to increase, the result being that a num- the number of disciples multiplied greatly and many, and a great many people became obedient to the faith. So that is what we're trying to accomplish. That's what, that is what our goal is. We want to see an increase of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace happening in our city. And of course, before it can happen in our city, uh, it's really got to happen here among us. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, okay? What we call community Bible reading, or how we just refocus us back on something we talk about a lot here, but, but the reality is it's probably 50% of the room is very new to the church. And so we need to come back, and we have a new resource that we're really excited about uh, that we want to pass out to you tonight that we hope will be helpful to you as we really try to relaunch our initiative in Bible reading. So if you look there on page one, the goal, of, the goal of Bible reading, okay, our goal, our goal, and this sounds so simple, and you would, and, 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 and you would think that, that, that you would not even have to make this a goal, but you do. Our one goal for 2016 is to see the overwhelming majority of people all over Redeemer Winter Haven, develop personal habits of scripture reading and prayer, and to see fathers, and of course mothers, single mothers and mothers, but, but particularly fathers leading their families in the discipline of reading the scripture and praying together in their homes. It's what we talked about on our men's retreat, right men? Uh, you know, it's what we've been talking about discipleship a lot, and, and what, we've, what we've realized is, is we want to do discipleship with people, and we started getting discipleship groups with, with people that don't read the Bible. And so we just kind of backed up and said, you know what, here's our goal, to see the overwhelming majority of people in our church develop personal habits of scripture reading and prayer, and to see mothers, but especially fathers, leading their families in the discipline of reading scripture and praying together in their homes. So that's a huge emphasis uh, for us this year, okay? You with me? Does Does it seem weird that we have to, like, start there? But we are a culture that is increasingly biblically literate. Uh, we are a culture of people uh, where in churches, people, you know, John, whenever Jonathan, <laughs> if you notice when Jonathan preaches, the, the, the passages of Scripture that we read here and the sermon texts tend to get longer. Have you ever, has anybody ever noticed that? And we make fun of him. We say, why do you pick such long passages of Scripture? He says, because I know that it's the most Bible most people have read all week, so I might as well give them as much as I can on a Sunday. Right? And it's really true. It's really true. Unfortunately, it's true. Now, here's what I want to do tonight. I want to try to win you to the idea that, 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 this, is, that this really is a good thing that we should be doing. And then we're going to talk about how we would do it, okay? So why should we read the Bible? What's the case for reading the Bible? And to, do, to answer that question, I want to, uh, I want to look at two psalms. I just want to look at the, the way, uh, the way um, what happens in these two psalms. Psalm 10, which is really about... Uh, injustice and, and the sense of forsakenness that you can experience in light of that, and then Psalm 42, which is really about anxiety and depression. So let's look. Let's look here at uh, Psalm Psalm 10. Let's just walk through these two psalms 
uh, together a little bit. I want you to see what happens, and this is, well, this is the case that I would make for why, why your strategic Bible reading on a daily basis is an important part of your growth uh, towards uh, maturity in Christ. So let's read. I'll read because I'm the one with the microphone, but I'm going to ask you some questions. So verse 1, Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you, do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Now, answer this question. What's he thinking? What's he feeling? What's he feeling? Forsakenness, loneliness, distance. What else? Abandonment. How else would you put it in your own words? Hopelessness. Where are you, God? Why aren't you doing anything about what's happening? Don't you see how hard things are? Right? Now look what he goes on to do here in verse 4. And uh, he begins to talk about the wicked and how overrun the world seems to be with wickedness. Can anybody relate? Doesn't it feel that way? Particularly in election years for some reason. It just seems like, right, it just is really overwhelming. So he, he starts to talk about the wicked. He says, in the pride of his face... The wicked, does, the wicked does not seek him, the Lord. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. You see his crisis? Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. The helpless are crushed, sink down and, full, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Now what's... what's What's on his heart? What's, what is he seeing that's causing him this crisis of faith? How would, you, how would you capture it? How would you put it in your own words? Okay, great. So he sees evil thriving. Dottie, you said he's not doing so good. So he's not doing so good, and in the midst of that, just evil seems to be thriving everywhere. Anybody else? Right. Right. No consequences for those that are, after, that, that are really perpetrators of evil. Uh, you know, again, God seems absent. He seems, he seems to not be paying attention. He seems to not be righting the wrongs, whatever the case might be, right? Now, watch, watch what happens, okay? And by the way, can you relate? Can anybody relate? What's that do in you? What's that, what is that, what is dwelling in that sense of that do? In your, in your heart, what happens to you? Okay, so so is following Christ really worth it? So major doubt. Anybody else? What's it do? What's that? Okay, your heart can become hardened toward Him, or you you go into self protection mode. You begin to shut down in many ways. Okay, good, good. Now look what he does. Look what he does here in the psalm. So this is where he is. He's in that place that you just described. But what hap- what's beautiful about the psalms is they just, there's, there's such amazing psychology in the psalms of what happens. Because remember, he's praying. This is all prayer. He's, so he's addressing God in these things. And look what he begins to do in verse 12. Arise, O Lord. So there's a turn. There's a turn. Notice it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see. 
For you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Now what's happening? What's going on here? What's he doing? Okay, he's talking to his heart about the goodness of God. He's reflecting on truth. Yeah, anybody? Anybody else? Okay, he's, he is holding, Lauren said he's holding God accountable to his promises. That's neat. What do you think is going to happen? Watch what happens to him as he starts to do this. So he's been reflecting on what's going on around him. He's been looking out and around him at what's happening, and, he, and, and the result is he's getting, getting discouraged, full of doubt, hardness of heart. But here he starts, he start, where does he start to look? He starts to look up. He, and he starts to bring truth to bear upon the situation and, and the feelings in his heart. And then look where he ends here at the end of Psalm 10. He ends in worship. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his hand. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. What's he saying? Talk to me. What's he saying? You're the king. God's the king. What else? What is he reminding himself up here? Remember, look up there. I mean, he already started to do it in verse, verse, um, verse 14. I love verse 14. You know, he says, why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will, not, you will not call to account? But you do see. I love that. You do see. He's got to remind himself, no, you really do see what's going on, and you're the king, and you're going you're gonna to do something about it. Do you see what happens? What did he, where did he start? Full of fear and forsakenness and hard-heartedness and doubt? Where does he end up? Faith. Faith. Worship. Right? I mean, completely trans... I mean, it's, it's a picture of a transforming experience is what it is. Of he starts in a really bad place emotionally, and yet when he brings the truth to bear upon, you know, when he starts to preach the gospel to his heart and bring the truth into his heart and life... It radically transforms. But it's not just, this doesn't happen one time. It happens over and over again in the Psalms. Look down at Psalm 42. Let's do the same thing here, okay? So he starts, verse 1, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for my God, for the living God. When, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, okay? Talk to me again. What's, he, what's, what's going on? What's he feeling? God's not listening to me. What's the question there in verse 3 that's lingering in his heart? Where are you, God? What's that feel like? Anybody live there? Despair, right? I'm all alone. There's really nobody... the, the, The... the car is careening off the ledge, and there really is no one at the driver's seat. <laughs> he's, he's, he's in a bad place, deep longing. And do you see, these things I remember, what's he, re- see, and I think there that word remember, he is, he is just, his, my, what does he say, my tears have been my food day and night. I mean, he's just, so to me it's a picture of he's rehearsing the things that have broken his heart over and over again. He just can't seem to get out of this cycle of just what is raw and real in his heart 
and mind, day and night, day and night, are all of the, all of the things that have made his heart so broken. And he's just in this cycle. Okay, but look what he does. Look what he does here in verse, verse 5. This is my favorite part. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. So what's he start to do? Say it. Same thing. He starts to preach the gospel. Who's he talked to? <laughs> Isn't that, I mean, that's kind of, he's talking, he's saying, no, 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 no. He, he starts to talk to his heart. He says, why? He starts to address his own heart. Why are you downcast, O my soul? What's that mean? What reason do you have to be so upset? Before he's remembering all the things that are breaking his heart, what does he say here? Look at verse 6. My God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. So he turns his attention somewhere else. You see that? And look where he ends in verse 8. And it's not actually not the end, but it, 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 gets to the, it gets to the point. And so in doing this, by day, here's where, here's where he ends. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. What's that mean? What's he saying? What's, what's, what's the essence of what he means there? By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. What's the truth of that for your life? Somebody. Right. Good. Whatever comes into your life tomorrow, where does it come from? God's steadfast love. That's what he's saying, right? He's saying whatever it is, all these things that are breaking my heart, behind them is not an angry God. Behind them is not a, a God who's not paying attention to what's happening in my life. Behind them is a God who commands his steadfast love by day, and at night his song is with me. I think it's the song in, Ze- in Zephaniah 3. Uh, that's, you know, the, the, the Lord's singing over us. He lays down, and as he lays down, he hears, the, he hears the lullaby of the Father's love that lulls him to sleep. It really is. It really is striking. And so you see, so in both those psalms, what happens? Put it in your own words for me. Y'all hear me talk enough. Let me hear you talk a little bit. What happens? What is this? It's okay if you don't have a good answer. Like, crawl toward the answer. It's okay. Stagger towards it. But let's talk about it for a minute. When we take our eyes off God and we kind of just look at our circumstances okay. and look at the world around us and look at ourselves, What happens when you begin to live in that truth? You, you begin to live beyond your circumstances. <laughs> okay. And you can have joy in the, in the difficult part. Good. Yeah. What's, to quote me, oh boy, this is scary. We view God, we view our circumstances through God's eyes instead of viewing 
You view your circumstances in light of God instead of viewing God in light of your circumstances, right? Is that, is that right? Right. That's right. And f- that's what faith is. Faith is viewing whatever's happening to you in light of what you know about him. Unbelief is, unbelief is viewing him through, through the grid of whatever's happening around you. Right? Good. Anybody else? Want to give it a shot? That's good. Something's happening here, right? This is a spiritual discipline that the Scripture is, is helping us see here. Uh, and, I would, and I would say it's the thing, it's, it's the thing that should happen as, as you read the Scriptures day after day. It's, 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 a, it's characteristic of the experience that you should have. Uh, it's the reason He's given us the Scriptures, and He's commanded us to read them. It's because, because, he, because there's truth that He wants us to live in light of that we are constantly forgetting because of how overwhelming... However, for some of us, how overwhelming things out here can be. For others of us, how overwhelming the raging in here can be. Right? So turn the page over to page two. And I, I want to get to what we're going to... I'm prone to, to underestimating how long it takes me to get through this stuff. But just two quotes from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I probably will only read the first. Um, but this is from the Spiritual Depression book, which had a significant impact on me as I read it a couple, couple years ago. Here's what he says. This is a, this is a great Reformed uh, preacher, famous preacher of the gospel in London in the middle of the 20th century. He said, we must learn to take ourselves in hand. We must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. The main trouble for Christians is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but, the, but, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody's talking. Who, who is talking to you? The psalmist's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself, remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do, and so forth. So that's, that's the very thing you see happening in these songs. Now, here's the thing. Is, um, I, that's, that's, that is my case for Bible reading, is that that is the opportunity that Bible reading on a daily basis presents to you. My case for community Bible reading, why we call it community Bible reading is, if you look there on page two, is it's not enough just to read the Bible. We need to read the Bible together. It's not enough just to read the Bible. We need to read it together because sanctification, growing, growing in Christ's likeness is a community project. And here are my two scriptures just to show you this, both from Hebrews. In Hebrews 3, the writer of Hebrews says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any evil in you, or any, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another, how often? Every day. Anybody else need an everyday exhortation? I'm just curious, are there any relationships in the room where you would say you have a friend that, that there's an everyday, I mean, maybe in, maybe in marriage, maybe in the best marriages, every day, he says you need it every day, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Now look down at the next one, Hebrews 10, the writer here says, let us draw near, if you have a pen, circle that, let us draw near, okay, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, and let us, verse 23, hold fast, circle that, let us hold fast 
the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another, circle that, stir, stir one another, to love and good works, and here's how we do it, not neglecting the meeting together of one another as is the habit of some, but encouraging, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I would tell you, whoever you are, whatever you came into the room, whatever situation you came tonight uh, in, whatever difficulty you might face tomorrow, the great, the great um, longing of your heart and, and the, the, the great goal of your heart, the thing, the thing that would make the difference in your life is, verse 22, you being able to draw near to the Lord. Isn't that what the psalmist said? Where are you? Why are you not? I mean, right? All of, all of the pain there in those psalms came from my life can sometimes make, it, make me feel as if God is far away from me. He's absent. I don't know where he is. I don't feel like I'm in communion with him. And so what we need, what your heart needs more than anything else is to be able to draw near to him. How do you draw near to him? Verse 23, by holding fast to the gospel, right? The only way to draw near to him is by holding fast to the gospel. Because if you forget the gospel, what happens? No intimacy. Where's God? He must be angry at me. You fall into works, whatever the case might be, right? So... We need, more than anything else in our life, to draw near. The way you draw near is to hold fast, but guess how you hold fast? How, how is it that you hold fast? There's only one way for you to hold fast to the gospel and for me to hold fast to the gospel, and, is that, and that's that we would be committed to constantly stirring one another up. So our stirring one another up is the thing that leads to our holding fast to the gospel, which is the thing that allows us to draw near, which is the thing we need. Does that make sense? So it's not enough for us to read the Bible. We need to read it together. And in our reading of it, if it is the mechanism by which the Lord intends to do in our lives what we see happening in the Psalms, then, uh, then we need to have a mechanism by which we can be stirring one another, another up in our reading of it. And that is, I wish that we could say we came up with it. David, would you come help me pass these out now or whoever's going to do that? And that is what we are trying to do in our, in our community Bible reading uh, program. So turn to page three. It's, it's a separate page. And I want you to see I have characteristically left too little time for us uh, to do this. But if I have, could I have a couple of guys? We have, we have a new resource for you. Uh, th- does anybody have, when I say community Bible reading, let me explain what I mean while these guys are passing these out. What we have done, it's not anything, it's not anything uh, in no rocket science, nothing, um, nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, but we, we uh, not we like Redeemer, but our network of churches here in, in Polk County about 10 years ago, uh, decided we were going to put together a Bible reading program for the people in our churches. And what we've basically come up with, because it's the rhythm, act, honestly, it's just because what, what I like. I, I, I prefer to not try to read through the whole Bible in one year. If you do, praise the Lord, you're, you're a better Christian than me, I guess, or something. But I like the rhythm of, of just two chapters a day. And so we've come up with a, we've come up with a, um, a schedule that asks you to read one Old Testament passage uh, a day and one New Testament passage a day, uh, one, one Old Testament chapter, sorry, and one New Testament chapter a day, and then a psalm on Saturdays, and then because we do worship on Sundays, we don't have a reading. But if you do that, you can actually read through the Old Testament in three years, and you can, um, and you can read through the New Testament every year. Now, we only have 50 of these, and there's about 100 of you here, so is that what we're figuring out now? We need, to, like, we need people to share, if you can, for a couple of weeks until we can get some more. And so um, we didn't, we didn't, we, we have not gotten used to thinking about the crowds 
typically 50 would have been plenty for this meeting. So if somebody needs one, but if y'all want to share uh, as couples, here's what, here's what I want. I, so we have this Bible reading, we have this Bible reading uh, program. Now, if you, if you have our app on your, your phone, or if you go to the website, or we also, I think in those books, there are printed copies of, of that. Um, you, can, you can find the schedule. If you go to the app, one of the tags at the bottom of the app is CBR, and you just click on that, and it'll take you to the day's passage, and then, uh, if, then it'll even read it to you if you, want, if you want it to. So you can always know where we are, okay? And what, what we're asking is that we read a, a New Test, an Old Testament passage every, every day and a New Testament passage every day, and then you read a psalm on Sunday. And again, you get through the Old Testament in three years, which I really like that pace. So basically the first year you read Genesis to about Joshua. The second year is all through the life of David, uh, all the way to um, Esther or Ecclesiastes, somewhere around in there, and then the prophets of the third year, and then we read the New Testament every year. Uh, But here's what we're we're asking, okay, is you have page three, and if you also look in your Look in your, in your uh, book that you just got. If you just flip a few pages back past all the introductory stuff, you'll, you'll see kind of this page. It looks like this. So this little, ah, this little rubric right here is exactly the same thing that I gave you on this sheet. So here's what we would like to begin to figure out how to train all of us to do. We'd like to do it together. It really is four movements. Not only are you reading the Bible, but you take the, the CBR schedule, and then this is what you would do every morning. The first thing you would do is uh, you look there on, if you look there on the top of the page, the first thing, you write the date, write whatever your passage is, and the first thing it asks you to do is to write a prayer of, of surrender. You surrender through pay, prayer for illumination and transformation. In other words, uh, we believe that all... This is what you guys were talking about in Matthew 13. In Matthew 13, Jesus says that any true spiritual understanding is God-given. Spiritual understanding is revelation, right? It's revelation. So if I need God to reveal the truth to me, then what's, what should I do before I come to the Scriptures? Ask Him to do that. So it's a, it's a posture of humility at the beginning of your Bible reading to say, I need something, and Lord, I know I need, I'm hard-hearted enough I'm, I'm, I'm distracted enough, whatever the case might be, I need you to come and I need you to teach me as I read. Uh, and you would write a little prayer of illumination. Then what, you would, then what you, you would do is you'd take out your scriptures and whatever the passage is for that day, uh, you, would, you would begin to, begin to read. So you would read. Today we read Mark 2. So if you see there on page 3 of the sheet that I gave you, okay, here's what we would do. You would read. And so, for example, let's, let's try it. We're going to try to do it in five minutes. You think we can do it in five minutes, David? No? He doesn't think five minutes. We're going to do it in five minutes, though. Watch this. You ready? I'm going to teach you that we, it, probably ten minutes is about the, the, the smallest amount of time, but I know how many children there are over there tonight, and so I'm feeling, I'm feeling out of the gun with that. So let's look at Mark 2. Do you see that on page 3? And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he, Jesus, was preaching the word to them, and they came to him, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, 
to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. (laughs) Right? And so you read, and then here's what we would begin to do. The third movement would be that you would, that you would go through this, go through this uh, habit of praying and journaling through your pen. And so the first thing, this is just one way of doing this, but it, it's a very helpful way, I think. And so you would begin by first adoring God. Adore God for his attributes and actions. So you would look at that scripture that we just read, and, and you would say, okay, what in it causes me to adore God? And so here's my question. What in we, what we just read causes you to adore God? Just say some words. He's the forgiver of sins. He's all-powerful. What else? He cares. He's a healer. What else? Anybody? He's a teacher. Great. He's compassionate. And so we would say, oh, Father, we give you thanks. That in Jesus is revealed your compassion, your tenderness, your love, your care for us, but your power, your might, your ability to take our brokenness into your hands and heal us. That you are our creator, that you've come and searched for us, uh, that you love us. We give you, we, we give you praise for these things. Amen. And then what we would do is we would, in light of adoring him, we would begin to confess. Confess your sinfulness and repent. What... What about this passage calls out for you your, your sinfulness? Where do you get caught? This is a harder one. People don't usually like offer this as much as the other stuff. Does anybody have courage? Okay, good. Like the Pharisees did. Good, Josh. Anybody else? Doubt. Yeah, and that really comes out in the, how how forceful his friends are to get him to Jesus. I mean, they, they are full of faith of what, what can happen if they can get him to him. Good. Yeah, they persevere. Do you... Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you love your friend? Do you love your friends who need him enough to whatever it takes, get them to him? I don't. Anybody else? Yeah. Right. Amen. And so we would confess, right? We would stop and we would confess, Lord, that we do not love as we should, that we are full of doubt and unbelief when we should be full of faith, uh, that we are judgmental of people in our lives. Uh, and all of this we see uh, because of your, your compassion, and, and all of that is absent in you. And so we do forgive us. We repent of these sins. We ask you to change us. Amen. Now, give thanks for Jesus. Where do you see the gospel? Give thanks for Jesus, for his salvation, past, present, and future. Where do you see the gospel? Great. Good. What are the two things he does for this man? He forgives his sins, right? And he heals his brokenness. What's the promise of the gospel for you? Yeah. 
no matter what your sins might be, He is the forgiver. No matter what the brokenness of your life might, might ultimately be, He can heal it. If He can take legs and make them work, whatever doesn't work in you, He can make that work too, right? So we give thanks, Lord Jesus, for your great salvation, that you forgive us and you love us and you've restored us. What a great and glorious gospel this is, we pray. And then we would stop and we would say, okay, now we've adored him, we've confessed our sins, we've turned to the gospel and really, and really reconnected with the love of God for us in Christ, and now we need to ask the Spirit to change us. How would you, in light of that passage, ask the Spirit to change you? Great. Holy Spirit, help me to love like Jesus loves. What else? Anybody? Great, yeah, to forgive. Help me to forgive the way, to be as ready with my forgiveness as he is, uh, as he was ready to forgive me. (laughs) Increase my faith. And so, Father, we would pray all of these things. Holy Spirit, we would ask that you change us in these ways to make us more like the Lord Jesus. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Now, how easy is that? And by the way, if you come to our church or if you go to, if you go to Redeemer Southwest, have you noticed that our liturgy follows that same pattern? We pray in prayer of adoration and confession. And then what's the next thing we pray? Thanksgiving and supplication. It is just a great gospel Rubric. Now, it may, not help, it may not work for you, but if you've never really approached the Scriptures, it is, a, it is a very easy, straightforward way of really meditating on the Scriptures, going beyond just reading to really starting to meditate. And so you would just use those boxes, write some things out, and then over to the side on this page where you have all this blank space, you could just begin to write, you know, write a prayer. Use, those, use, those, use the things you put in the boxes to write a prayer. And then the last thing uh, we would ask you to do is the, so you surrender through prayers of illumination and transformation. You listen to the scriptures. You pray through your pen. And this is my favorite part, actually, that's new to me that I've never done before. But then what, what the man who put this together, Ted Sins, his name, he want, what he wants you to do, the last thing is he wants you to prepare for a gospel community. He wants you to ask two questions. He wants you to ask, what has God taught you today that you could share with somebody else? And who is it that the Lord would ask you to share that with? Isn't that cool? What's that? Yeah, so what's the one thing that you would like that, that you learned today that you would like to share with people? Now, if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter, one of the things that I've started to do is I've started to take the Bible reading from the day. It is a, it's a great habit for me to take our Bible reading and try to bring it down to 140 characters. That's really, really, really hard and really fun. But, and we, you know, hashtag RW, wait, what is it? RWH. CBR is what a few of us have been doing. I would love to flood Facebook and, and social media with people meditating on the scriptures and putting those out there to encourage other people. Not in a showy way, but to encourage people. And then every day for you to say, who, who is it that God would ask me to encourage with this specific truth? And you give that person a call, or you text them, or you shoot them. A, you know, I was reading this morning, and I thought of you, and here's what the Lord wanted me to say. Wouldn't that be cool? So we would surrender, we would listen, we would pray, and we would prepare, and we would do this day after day after day as a way of really becoming people that are, that are taking seriously, trying to have happen in our lives on a daily basis what we saw happen in Psalm 10, Psalm 42. What do you think? Thoughts? Do you think these will be helpful? If not, we only have 50. If not, like, no shame. Like, 
bring it back to us and we'll give it to somebody else. It's okay. It doesn't work for everybody. It's really all right. No, no, like no judgment, no judging here. It's a judge-free zone. Okay. So don't walk out with one of these things and go set it on the shelf at your house and it's just going to sit there for the next three years. Our hope is that we would produce these every year, uh, that eventually they would have our schedule in them and then that, that this would become a way that we could, that we could begin to begin to do this with one another. So be on the lookout for all that we're trying to do with this. Because again, what's our goal for the year? I need to be done. That the word of God would continue to increase, the number of disciples multiply greatly, and a great many people become obedient to the faith. It seems like a small start, but it's a really significant start. Some of the guys that went on the men's retreat are seeing powerful things happen in their lives just in the last couple weeks because they came home and started reading the Bible again and started reading it with their families. Right? If you have kids, read a passage of Scripture, older kids, not really young kids. They, you know, you might have to simplify it even further for them. But if you have kids, read a passage and say, let's adore God, guys. What do you see about God here that it's really you love? What, how can you confess? I mean, it, it's just such an easy way to do this. And you'll find it enriching, I think. So thank you for being here. I've gone past my time as, as usual. Um, so don't go get the kids and then stay as long as you want to, but go get them first, okay? For the sake of the people that are over there. But let's pray. So, Father, we do ask that you would um, begin among us a movement of Bible reading that would, uh, that would begin to... Uh, saturate our lives with your gospel, that, that your word would increase in us and then from us into our city that we would see the number of disciples multiplied and that a great many people would become obedient to the faith. That is our hope and prayer. So in this little thing, start that great work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, thanks for being here tonight. We'll do this again in a couple months, okay?